Hey, вы настроены на радио Тапки, с вами здесь Норм и Шейги. Hey, this is Curb, and even hot Russian chicks love to listen to Norm and Shaggy on Topcast. Hey, this is Oksana, you're listening to a Topcast with Norm and Shaggy. You're listening to Topcast, this old pinball's online radio. For more information, visit them anytime, www.marvin3m.com slash Topcast. Welcome to TopCast, and tonight we have a special episode with a guest from Australia, a pinball restorer in Australia. We're going to talk to him about the Australian pinball scene and how it's progressed over the years and the work that he's done in restoring games for a very large collector in Australia that hopes to open a pinball museum in the near future. Um, that is something that he wants to do, much like what Tim Arnold has done with the Pinball Hall of Fame here in the United States. They hope to accomplish uh, in even a, a bigger venue in Australia. Special guest. Special guest. Special guest. Special guest. So I'd like to introduce Lee Feldwick of Australia, and we're going to give him a call on the phone right now and uh, and see how and see how he's doing. I'll give him a call. And we'll try and get him on the line. Hello? Lee? Clay. All right, how's everything with you? Good, and you? Yeah, really good, actually. Before we, we start, I, I know you, you've been working uh, with, uh, with Alan Tate on his massive pinball collection restoration project. But before we talk about that, let's, uh, let's back up a little bit. And uh, I mean, how long have you been doing pinball? When did you first get into it? You know, what, you know was this like a... A thing where you played when you were a kid, or, you know, how did you get started? Well, I didn't play a great deal of pinball when I was a small child, but uh, in teenage years where my family used to holiday um, on the coast, there was a, a town we used to stay at that had three or four different pinball parlours, and uh, that's where it all sort of started for me, and, you know, every five and ten cent pieces I could sort of scrounge up. I used to go and either play the shooters or the pinball machines or or whatever that I could put a coin into, you know. And uh, When you say shooters, you mean the gun games? Gun games, yeah. Okay, were they big, yeah. in, were they big in Australia? Uh, it's, I mean, none of it was all big compared to what uh, America had, but it, they, were, they were there, but the shooters, or the gun games, I, I'll have to call them, um, they were sort of down the back of the pinball parlour because they were sort of on the 10 cents where your pinball machines were the 20 cents. So uh, me being the young kid, I not too often had 20 cents, so I sort of had to sacrifice and stand on a milk crate and play with the gun games sort of thing and the mutoscopes and things like that. So that's where it all started for me. But uh, when I was about 14, my parents for Christmas bought us a lost world uh, and I think it was about 14 months old at the time, and I still actually owned the machine. So basically, that's where it all started, actually. So that you're talking about they bought you a Bally Lost World, which is a yeah. solid-state game. Sorry, yeah, Bally Lost World, yeah. And it's solid-state, where you were, the games you were pretty much playing in the arcade were generally all electromechanicals, right? Yeah, they were. I mean, I remember when um, Six Million Dollar Man and things like that came out. Well, that, that was a new fancy thing where I'd been playing mechanicals, yeah, up until then. Okay, and so when you got this Lost World, was it working? Oh, it was, yeah, it was only about 14 months old, and um, it was right, uh, as you know, when Lost World was made, it was just nearly Space Invader time, and that's what uh, all the popularity was about. So pinball machines over here weren't sort of bringing too much money, so hence my parents were able to buy a nearly new one, which was, uh, I think at the time they paid about $700 for it, so... Um, you know, it was quite a cheap entertainment for a few years for us. And what, what part of Australia was this? Uh, this is in Sydney. It's in Sydney, okay. So, like, yeah. if you were, um, you know, a kid in Sydney and you wanted to go out and, and play games, was it very hard to find an arcade or anything like that in no. Sydney? No, not back then. I mean, in most towns you'd probably have one or two pinball parlours. Um, some of them were maybe a long-established ones. Some were maybe... Um, Temporary ones where somebody has, has uh, rented a, 
a shop space for a couple of years or something like that, but you could always find uh, a, a pinball or a Space Invaders or a gun game somewhere. Um, your soda fountains, we called them milk bars here, and milk bars were quite common on corners, streets and so on. So there was always at least one or two pinball machines in each milk bar. Oh, okay. And what in milk bar? I've never heard that term before. That's milk great. Milk bar, well, you know what you call a soda fountain? Yeah, it's basically milkshakes and stuff, right? Well, that's what we call a milk bar. Right, gotcha. Yep. And, yep. um, so you got this, you got this thing, it's probably about 1980, because Lost World, I think, came out in 79. So it's yeah. probably about 1980 or 81, and you yep. had that game for a few years, then what happened? No, well, I've, all, I've still got the machine, but that sort of always stayed in my mind. The pinballs and jukeboxes sort of um, started to get very popular in my mind and I, because I collect old American cars and everything sort of went hand in hand. And uh, it wasn't until um, I got married and moved up north is when I had my own house and uh, acreage and I had room to sort of grow with, with the pinballs because they take up so much room and in your parents' house you can't very well collect too many. So it wasn't basically until I got married and that's when it went berserk. And you said you collect American cars, too? Yeah, yeah, all American cars and jukebox, anything you put a coin into, uh, except for a sl um, what we call poker machines. Um, uh, anything you put a coin into, I collect. So you're not into, like, uh, slot machines with uh, spinning reels? Yeah, I'm not into them. Okay, okay, or fruit machines, as they call them in uh, yeah, the UK. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, don't, I don't own any of them. I, I have no interest in them. So, um, as far as like American cars, are you talking about 50s, 60s, 70s type thing, or any era? Yeah, yep, yep. For, late 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, early 70s. Yeah. Okay, exactly. so yeah, the 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 muscle car eras in, uh, in yeah, prior. Yeah, or you know, Dodge, Pontiac, Ford, Chev, anything that you like, Hudson, anything like that. Uh, I'm into. So. Okay, and okay, so now you got your own place up. And when you said you're in northern okay, Australia, I or? live in Queensland now, the state of Queensland. So most of you people, uh, Brisbane, if you've ever heard of Brisbane, sure. Yeah, well, I'm about um, forty miles south on the coast. Okay, and so now you got your own place, and yep. you still got the Lost World. So then, what happened? Uh, okay, then what happened? I, I started just checking the local paper and started looking for. For, for pinballs at uh, garage sales and so on and uh, you know then a volley sort of poked its nose up and then it just went from there and I, all of a sudden I had 20 pinball machines and it just kept growing and growing and growing in between that and jukeboxes and all other paraphernalia that went with it as well so uh, now with the joys of having acreage I finally had room to put these things and, uh, and enjoy them so now, were you concentrating mostly on electromechanical or solid state, or it just didn't matter? Um, at first, it didn't matter, but then I, I weaned more to electromechanicals, um, unless a popular solid state came up like a $6 million man, or just the popular ones that everybody likes to have. Uh, but mainly electromechanicals, then um, I also like wood rails as well, only for the artwork, and I, I know they're not the most popular thing to play, but I think they're fantastic to look at. So. Yeah, actually, uh, I've been going through my wood rails a lot right now. When you were, when you were visiting here, you kind of yep. saw, you know, I was just getting started on that. I've yeah. done about eight of them in the last few months, yep. and... Um, I mean, if you uh, if you do the right things to them, man, you can get them to play great. You know, I think just, you, you can. Yeah, people are just used to playing worn out, trashed ones, they're, and they're used to playing a lazy wood rail, which would turn anybody off. Right. But as you said, if you get one, you know, you replace your flipper coils, and you, you get get it really humming nice. Um, they're quite good to play, and a lot of people disagree with me, but I think some of them are quite hard to play because they're a real challenge. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there definitely. There's some that are are quite difficult. There's some that are are easy, but there are some yeah. that are just really hard. Like, I, I, like I got this challenge. Yeah, I, I got you this. Can always rate a good pinball when it's a good challenge. Right. I got this one Green Pastures by Gottlieb, yeah. and it, it's just it's really hard to get any sort of a replay out of it. But then you play yeah. something else, you know, and and some of them, you know, you feel like you're raping the machine. That's and, right. You know, it just depends yeah. on the game. You know, it does. It does. Well, so okay, so now, what year was it when you uh, when you bought the property up north in Queensland? Um, I've been here uh, fifteen years. So what's that make that? 
1992. Okay, and then, so you started, you got about 20 games in your collection, but you're starting to gravitate towards more towards electromechanicals, 50s, yep. 60s, 70s. Yep. Um, you know, so how, you know, then then what happened? I mean, you know, did you, you know? Well, basically what happened then, uh, the, the collection grew to up around 40 or 50, where it probably sits about now, but um, I think it was probably about eight years ago now, uh, my wife and I did another trip to America, which uh, we used to go to America for all the uh, car shows and things like that, but this time we had an opportunity to go. There was the Chicago Land show on and there was um, the Pinball Wizards convention on roughly around the same time so we did a big five week trip and we did as many shows as we possibly could and um, we got to, to the Pinball Wizards convention and just thoroughly enjoyed it so uh, that that's it, it sort of got more intense then and hence that's where um, uh, a lot more things were available to me parts wise and so on like that and so when I come back from the States it sort of just took a another leap forward now in australia how hard was it like you know in the in the 90s to present how hard was it to find machines you know in the in the buy and sell papers in the classifieds and you know or wherever all right easy question in the 90s early 90s when i first moved up to this property i'm at now um machines you you used to probably pick one up out of the local paper probably one every couple of weeks um People had them in garages. Kids have finished playing with them and moved out, so on. It, it, it was it was not easy, but it was it was good going. Um, you were picking up for the right sort of a price. And uh, but in the last four or five years now, it's really you're lucky to ever see a pinball machine in the paper in your local paper. You know, they always have dealers in a trading post paper, but to get one locally at a garage sale or or an antique shop or something like that, it, it very rarely happens now. And how are the how are the prices back then and compared to now? Um, probably half the price to pay now. Uh, and more to the point is that, um, see, the other difference with the pinballs over here compared to in your country is that, see, Australia, a lot of our machines were on site a terrible lot longer because the operators were just trying to strangle as much money out of them as they could. So hence the machines got more play and they're more worn out. Um, so that's the other thing where trying to find ones in very good condition is quite hard. Hmm. Okay. Where, where I know you guys do get a bit more of a, a, a selection of better quality machines where we've got to get, they're fairly well worn machines over here. So when you went to, uh, like the Allentown show, I mean, yep. was that, is there, is there no kind of similar show in Australia? Uh, there is no, there is no show in Australia. Nothing. Nothing. Oh wow! Well, you guys need to correct that. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, no, they never had. I mean, there's been the occasional auction, but that's nothing. That just gets people in a room for three or four hours, and and, and that's it. But no, there's no show. Uh, never has been. Um, I don't know if there ever will be, because the the problem we got here is that there's not too many pinball collectors in Australia as a whole. Um, like. You, you, uh, in your country, you, you've got pe- lots of people in each sort of state and town that get together and so on. Here, you could drive hundreds of miles before you'll not find another pinball collector. You know, it's it's just not the popularity as you guys have got it over there. Hmm. Now, so, so to have a show um, and expect a lot of people to turn up to it is it just sort of won't happen. What about um, as far as like retail shops? You know, places selling parts and selling games. I mean, are there very, very rare? Pardon me? Very rare. Really? Yeah. I mean, is this like the thing you're saying, like, in, uh, you know, in Australia you could count, you know, you know, there's less than 10 for the whole country type thing? Uh, 10 part supplies, you'd be, that'd be about it. There's a major, uh, when I say major, I'm not talking about um, pinball resource size or anything like that. I'm just talking about maybe a big operator that sells parts. Uh, probably one of them in each state of Australia, and let's face it, there's only seven states, so it's it, it's there's not a lot of people doing it. So it was interesting in um, in a recent Pin Game Journal, or maybe it was Game Room. I can't remember. I think it was the Journal. There was a guy um, actually advertising for a technician in Australia, a pinball technician. 
correct. Uh, Maybe Pin Dell or something like that, I can't remember. Yeah, it was Dell Race and Bumper Action. Right, right. And, I mean, is that kind of uh, uh, unusual to see somebody... Or, or, I mean, are techs well needed there? Well, put, I'll, I'll sum that up real quick for you. What is unusual in this country is a pinball te- technician. Of any because type. <laughs> there ain't any of them out there. Okay. So he had no choice but to advertise like this, really, if he needed he, somebody? He's got no choice, and uh, I'd be very surprised if he actually found anybody. Really? Okay. Yeah. Huh, well, there you go. So now, and I, well, and I think that's probably why he's, he's advertised in the Ping Game Journal or Game Room, wherever you saw it. That's probably why he's had to go worldwide to find somebody to fix pinball machines because there's just nobody down, there's nobody down here to train anybody uh, for a start, and there's no nobody down here that does it. And um, now, how did you get associated with with Alan Tate in in his collection, and and how did that whole thing start? Because you were in kind of on the ground floor. Helping him acquire, he's got like a thousand games now, right? Uh, yeah, plus. Plus, more than that, huh? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I was, I wasn't in. Uh, well, where it all started with me and Alan, I just got a phone call one day from Alan, who uh, was talking to a mutual friend of each other. Obviously, it was a customer of his and a friend of mine, and uh, he just happened to mention that he knew somebody that had pinballs and. Alan acquired my phone number off him and he just rang me one day and said, oh, you know, I have a large collection. Um, we must get together sometime and have a talk. But Alan's a very private, quiet sort of a person and um, I sort of never heard from him. I said, yes, you're more than welcome to come over for a coffee or a beer, whatever you like, but I never heard from Alan again for about six months and then I knew where his company was. So I um, I went and approached him and uh, ever since then we became quite good friends and then it wasn't until a couple of years ago he asked me to come and um, work for him and restore his games. Now how long has he been acquiring machines? And, and I think I think he's been going for about seven or eight years. And does he but get I, most of them from Australia? I was never involved Australia? in actually buying any of the machines for him. That was all done before I, I knew him. Okay, and did he get most of the stuff from Australia? No, most of the stuff from your country. Really? So he would come over here and, and yes. fill a container type thing? Yep, absolutely. Okay, okay. And, I mean, um, when you get these games back, you isn't Australia on like 220 volts or 240? Yeah, we're on 220, uh, 240 volts here, 50 hertz. Um, yeah, so that that's, is going to be a bit of a challenge. Um, what we do in the meantime, we I have several transformers here that just, steps down the voltage from 240 down to 110. So that's the easy way around that at the moment. Hmm. So instead of putting, like, a, you know, for EMs, most of them aren't, the transformers don't have multi-taps. They, they're just, you know, 110 or, or whatever. Yeah. So, excuse me, um, are you going to have to replace the transformers or are you just going to set up, like, a 110 or 120-volt power grid for all this stuff to that's plug exactly, into? What we're thinking of doing is, is setting up um, exactly that power grid like I mean for say three or four rooms or something like that we'll have it just running on straight 110 which will you know cut out a terrible lot of hassle having to train transformers and all this sort of carry on so right. we just might run it at 110 okay that's a good idea so now you're working for Alan basically yep. full time restoring his games right yep six days a week six days a week and yep. I mean how many games can you do in a month um, well, that can vary because depending on the condition of the machines, um, I, I've done I've done a terrible lot of uh, Alan bought a lot of uh, these late import what I call import games from Europe and so on. I think that everybody else in the world has had a crack at. Um, I was turning over a dot matrix game. Probably I was doing a full rebuild on one end of them. Probably three two to three days, depending on condition of them. Uh, where the wood rails now they sort of take a bit more time. You know, depending on conditions, so I redo all the timber work and uh, all the legs, and you know, you know what it's like, Clay, going through the back box and every contact, and down in the in the cabinet, and you know, there's a fair bit of time. Sometimes three days, sometimes four, just depending on condition. Now, um, on the '90s stuff, yeah. What typically, what do you do to one of those games to bring it back? Well, me being not a technician, and I'm the first person to admit it. Um, these these games that came from Europe, um, I don't know if you've found this in your country, but they're all, I don't think they'd ever been serviced since the day they were plugged in. 
Right. They were putrid. Um, a terrible lot of um, uh, bodgy repairs were done on them. If yeah. you understand hacks, that term. as we call them. Hacks. Sorry? We call them hacks. Yeah, hacks. You terrible know lot where of they use... Repairs. Terrible lot of cigarette paper, and I don't know what it is. They used to use paper toweling to use to fill terrible ramps and so on, so... Uh, you know that that was the problem with those '90s games. They were they were rough. That's why the Europeans got rid of them, I think, because they'd sort of made their money and the machines were finished. You know, but, right, um, right. Um, so, are that, you buying like from Pinball Incorporated in Georgia? You're just like buying ramps and 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 plastics and whatever else you can do, or or are you trying to make I, your own? I have done. Um, yeah, I, the ones the ones that needed like. Uh, the, the ramps were absolutely destroyed. Yeah, I've had to I've had to uh, replace the ramps and so on. Sometimes you can get away with repairing them um, without them looking bad. I mean, you can't use super glue or anything because that just turns them frosty right that everybody knows. So if I can get away with repairing them properly, I, I'll do that. Otherwise, we'll have we do replace them. But uh, mind you, there was only 40 of those machines, and they're all done and finished and covered up now. So. Uh, Okay. Uh, not too many more of them, hopefully. So now, Alan's collection spans from 50s up to 40s. 90s, right? 1940s and up. 40s and up. Is there anything that he specializes in or that he likes in particular? Uh, Alan's a uh, wood rail person. Okay. So now you've started working on his wood rails, right? Yep, uh, yes. And you refinish the, uh, the wood rails and the legs? Yes. Okay. Do you, what about the cabinet paint? Um, what I'm doing at the moment, I'm picking, I'm actually picking the best ones out before I go into, see, once I start doing cabinet repaints and so on, that's going to, um, slow me up. Um, and if we ever get this museum, the property and all that sorted out, um, I want as many machines to go in there to start as possible. So I try to pick the good ones out now rather than the basket case ones because they're going to take, hold me time up, that's all. I mean, I've done cabinet repaints for myself, but uh, I just I haven't done any for Alan as yet. And is that his uh, is that his hope to actually open like a, a pinball hall of fame style museum? Yep, yep absolutely. And, and does he have the property acquired? Um, Alan does have property. We where we uh, work at the moment, the property was purchased for that reason, but it's turned out that it's not the right uh, industrial has moved in in the last five or six years, and it's. It's turned out to be the wrong location and the wrong land. So Alan's at the moment is trying to source another property. That's there's a lot of things you've got to consider when you're trying to build a pinball museum because it, let's face it, it doesn't appeal to everybody in the community. Um, so you've got to be reasonably close to um, major amenities so people will actually come and visit. You know, because you you'll always get pinball people will travel to a pinball show or a, or, a, or a museum but you also do need to generate the general public as well to you know to make it all worthwhile otherwise you'd probably have one or two people walk through the door in a day so how many uh, just, oh i'm sorry how many machines do you think you know he's you know i mean how big of a building is he looking how many machines is he looking to, to have in the museum well play every day the building seems to get bigger in our minds <laughs> it, it's um we don't know it, it, it's got to be a, a very large building because alan just doesn't want to fill it full of pinball machines it's got to be full of um you're going to be a section with small kiddies rides and there's got to be uh, somewhere to eat there's got to be um there, we want to put a 50s a diner in there um there want to be a room full of shooting games gun games um mutoscopes all sorts of weird and wonderful things, you know. So it's uh, it's got to be large, and Alan also wants to do it as a theme rather than just one big enormous square factory or something like that with all machines up and down. He wants to actually build rooms and and little hidey holes and dim lights for the wood rails. He he wants to build real character for the whole building. So yeah, the, have you been to Las Vegas and seen the Pinball Hall of Fame? No, I've been to Tim's place on several occasions, but I've never actually been... I haven't been over since uh, the Hall of Fame. I've been in America, but I haven't had a chance just to pop over to Vegas on the way home. Yeah, his... It's disappointing. He, he doesn't... I, I know what you're trying to achieve, and it's a, it's a much bigger and cooler picture. Tim is just kind of like... 
Uh, I got a room. It's I think he's got five thousand square feet, and yeah. he, he just filled it with two hundred pinball machines. But yeah. he doesn't have the personality thing going like uh, what he, what you're he talking about. Wanted to say Clay, didn't he? Pardon me. I think he 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 did want the personality. I, I think it was more the point I've got to sort of get in and now and do it or never do it sort of thing. Right, and that I think that's exactly what it is. The other problem too is that uh, Tim's motto is, it's about the game, stupid. That's what he keeps telling it himself. So he really wants to concentrate on keeping the games running, um, you know, top-notch and everything working great. And, yeah. you know, between him and his, uh, his buddy that works there, Hippie, those guys don't have a second to breathe. 200, no. Yeah, 200 machines. No, I can totally understand it. Yeah. 200 machines and keeping them all running, it's a full-time job for that just two guys. That is a huge job. Yeah. So, you know, it's a it's a huge undertaking, and what Alan is, is doing, he's going to have to hire a lot more help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. And the, the, the main one thing that Alan does specify, he doesn't want to do this to make money. He said, the minute that I've got to make money on this, as in the, if, if this museum has got to turn over admission fees and all that, he said, that's the, I'll walk away. He said he wants to do it for enjoyment, so people go there for enjoyment, and that's it. But he said, the minute I've got to make money on it, he said, I'll close the doors. Because yeah, otherwise the fun goes out of it for him. Yeah, that's kind of Tim's, Tim's angle, too, because he's, yeah. um, you know, he's given everything away to charity, and, and as yep. long as he makes the nut every month, you know, pays the rent, pays yeah. the electricity... You yep. know, he's that's all he's really looking to do. That's too. all Alan wants to do, just enough to pay for the electric, electricity and it, for the few people and people, you know, people coming and clean, wipe the games over. He just just enough to keep everything rolling over. He, he said, "I've got a, he's got his other business that makes him money." He said, "I don't need this to have to make money." Right, right. Well, that's pretty cool. Is there any kind of timeline where you guys think you might actually be open? Not at the moment. We, I mean, it was even this week we were out looking at property, but at this stage, Alan looks like he's going to actually build this building. We're not going to be uh, going into like a factory and renting something. Alan wants to buy property, a large property, um, and he wants to build on it at the moment. But it's just trying to find the right property, and real estate's going through the roof down here at the moment because Alan does want... He wants acreage so people can come and have a picnic as well. You know, he wants the whole family environment involved, not just to come look at pinballs for an hour and go. Um, so it's very hard trying to find the right location and the right spot, but he's on it all the time. So. Wow. And so now of the, like the wood rails that you're doing, uh, yep. any interesting titles? Uh, well, today I just finished a, um, what did I finish? Barnacle Bill today. Okay, which is our, like, 1947-48 Gottlieb. Yeah. Yep, Got with, uh, with six um, flippers, basically the same play field light, layout as Humpty Dumpty, but different art. Basically, yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, they did um, that run from, like, 47 for, like, six games. The, the yeah. Essentially, the games were all copies yeah, of Ali Humpty Bar, Dumpty. things like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. any yeah. other interesting ones? Uh, t well, uh, just before I, I knocked off today, I pulled out a flying high. Okay, 52, um, I, I think. Got, I've only got the head box. I don't know what the cabinet's like. The head box is in nice condition. Back glass is very nice. I don't know what the bottom half's going to be like. <laughs> I know the game has been near water because I found corrosion in the back box, so I, I don't, I'm a bit worried what the bottom half's going to be like. But anyway, we'll get through that. Right. Um, I, I've done a lot of United's as well. I, I tend to like the artwork there, which most people probably wouldn't, but I've done, you know, Monterey... Um, Bermuda, um, Ramona, just those early ones. I think uh, tumbleweed. I, I think jockey. I think the artist for United was Roy Parker, I believe, because I th he was under contract with many right. of the pinball companies, and I believe that he did uh, at least some of the United games also. Okay, you know, yeah. so that's probably why you're liking the artwork. I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very uh, stylish. You know, Roy Parker stuff, you know, it's it's pretty easy to point them out. You can always look at the hands of the people. I was going to say, you only have to look at the girl's hands, and if they're not real good hands, you'll know they're Roy's. Right, or they're hidden, because he always likes yeah. to hide the hands, because he had uh, a problem drawing hands, and he would, if he had a choice between not drawing a hand and kind of having it behind her, her, her coat or her dress or something, yeah. he would try and do that. That's correct, yeah. 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 So... 
And uh, so, what? Um, have you done any of the gun games for Alan? I haven't done the gun games yet because most of them um, will need cabinet repaints, and my workshop is just getting so full. And I, I, I want a spray booth before I start doing cabinets like that. So uh, we haven't got to the stage of uh, got a spray booth yet. So I just, it's just to see. Where where I, my workshop is, Alan's business is a lumber yard, and I've got sawdust and everything floating everywhere. Now I'm in a sealed room, but if I put a back glass down for half a day, I can still wipe my finger through it and find dust all through it. So I ain't going to start painting cabinets without a booth. Okay, we'll be right back with Lee Felwick of Australia and talk to him more about pinball restoration and the pinball hobby in Australia. Pins and Vids Episode 2, Attack of the Phones, is now available at pinsandvids.com. It's the best Pins and Vids yet. Double the fun and half the underwear of the first episode. Surely to be nominated for an Oscar for the best use of fake phones in a niche video or best special effects during a dream sequence. Worth much, much more than the $6 including ship and selling price. It's worth at least $7 or $7.50. Get your copy now at pinsandvids.com. And now for a word from our lawyer. The entire sale price goes to the Pinball Hall of Fame. First episode, also available. Some pinball machines were hurt during the filming of the Pins Vids, but they were old. Get your deranged DVDs on Coin Up Goodness now. Okay, we're back with Lee Felwick of uh, Australia telling us about his pinball restoration work that he's doing uh, in Australia. Do you find it hard to stay focused on any one particular game? You know, that's like a no. problem I have where I start a game and then something else comes in or I get distracted and then sometimes it'll, you know, something I thought I'd have done in a week ends up taking two months. No, I'm probably in a little bit different position there where I this is my sort of job, I've, I've got to do it. And I'm lucky for me, I'm a finishing person. I've got to have something finished, otherwise I, I can't sit comfortable with anything. So I'll start a game, I'll finish it right to the end. Um... And then I'm happy. I won't start another game. Unless I'm waiting on parts, I won't start another one. So are you, like, uh, you know, just sending boatloads of money over to Pinball Resource every month? Uh, no, I, I, we, we bought a fair bit um, one trip, um, and I've just been going off. I bought it, like, a lot, and I've just been going through it that way. Um, I'm not doing too much with the bumper caps and so on at the moment because... Um, I'd rather wait till the machines are just about to go on display before I start putting, spending money on putting bumper caps on them. Right. Um, and I'm also hoping that we can try, possibly try and get bumper caps that are a cream colour, not stark white. Right. Yeah, I think Steve's working on that issue where the original plastics were plunger injection molded, you know, hand plungered, and they have this kind of marbleized yep. look to them originally. But the yeah the new stuff is all uh, automatic injection molded and the plastic is very consistent in color, but which is from a production standpoint you know that's more ideal. But from a uh, authenticity, it's not right exactly. Yeah, it's. I was talking to Donald Murphy uh, just at the Pinball Expo in November about it, and we're trying to explain to him that you know this stark white you would uh, me personally. If you do up a beautiful machine that, you know, it, it's maybe has aged, then all of a sudden you put on these pure white bumper bodies and bumper caps. I mean, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Right. Yeah, so, I, I have the same issue. That's why I've been kind of the same um, The same thing. is like I, unless the cap is totally wasted, I'm not buying a new one. That's correct. Yeah. But on the other hand, too, I'm all for people going to the effort of making reproduction parts for this hobby. So I take my hat off to anybody to do anything. Um, we need so many reproduction parts. So to, to even be lucky enough to have bumper bodies and bumper caps to choose from, whether you like them or not, it's still a huge thing, and I think it, I take my hat off to them. But uh, I, I just hope we can sort of get the colours right, that's all. Right. Now, what about the pin rescue um, business? How, how did that get started? Uh, actually, that got started, we'll go back to um, the Pinball Wizards Convention when my, my wife and I were over there. Um, Mark Nienkiewicz was doing a seminar there on reproduction plastics um, to do them, at, you know, how, how it was done and so on. And at the time, I had some pictures of my rocket ship 
um, that I'd taken over because I was quite proud. Because to have a, a wood rail in Australia, besides Allen, but to have a wood rail in Australia is quite rare. Um, and uh, as I found out to have a rocket ship when I was showing people in America, it was really nothing to be proud of. But anyway, yeah, but but I, in- had done, I had done a set of plastics on the rocket ship and I was showing these photos around, and Mark Nienkiewicz happened to say to me, geez, your plastics look good. I said, oh, I've reproduced them. And Mark said to me, look, I, I do a couple of sets a year. He said, but something that this pinball hobby needs in this world is reproduction plastics. He said, if you can do anything, um, he said, it would be great. So I've come home, discussed it with, uh, with Gordon, the chap that did the plastics, and um, it sort of went from there. We did a couple of trial runs, and... We do it properly, not um, photocopies and all that. I mean, you, you've seen them play, so you know that they're, they're the real McCoy, but that's that's where it all started, at the Pinball Wizards Convention. Yeah, I have, I've bought a, a number of your sets when you when yeah. you had them available, um, and they're, they're, they're perfect. I mean, they're, the colors are right, the, the style is right, and they're, and they're silk-screened, right? Uh, they're done exactly the same way as they would have been done in the 40s and 50s, right down to the stamping machine to cut them out of the plastic. We even went and bought an old early 50s Heidelberg machine to actually stamp them out because uh, we went through a terrible lot of processes to cut the plastics out of the sheet of plastic, um, right down to the uh, die cutting and all that, but you never get the same finish. They burn them, they burr them, and, and no, just a terrible laser cutting doesn't work properly, and... Um, I, I'm, I'm at, I have the opinion if you're going to do something, do it right or don't start it. So. Now, I mean, when you say laser cutting, that doesn't, it just doesn't give the same look or something? No, it doesn't. We, um, we tried with the laser cutting, and what it does, it leaves an edge around the side of your plastic where you can see it's actually been laser cut. Hmm. Um, unless, and there are people out there that have since done plastics and had them laser cut, and then they'll sit and buff them. But the problem is, once you... Once you hit them with a buff, that that means heat, and that's when you sort of lose your accuracy of your straight line. Right, right. Um, mind you, in saying that, we were lucky enough to have an old Heidelberg stamp, and it's an actual printing machine, and we used to have the knives made, and they used to guillotine them out. Wow. Um, it's the sort of thing. That's why our finishes were like that, and I believe that's how they were similarly done uh, back in the 40s and the 50s. Now, were you doing back glasses too? Yeah, we did touch on back glasses, yeah. We weren't screen printing them, though. We were using high-end digital printing. Okay. And how, um, how did that work? Turned, well, it, it turned out to be quite successful, but um, the problem that we found is to trying to find a dustless environment is very hard, and what we were finding was the acrylic that we were using for the back glasses, acrylic gives off a gas, 24/7. Okay. And it and it it can produce very 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 small air bubbles. It's like when you've got a plastic cup sitting on your bench, it's giving out toxins and gases all the time. It's mm. just that when you're trying to capture them underneath a piece of vinyl, eventually you will get a very small air bubble. So I I don't like selling anything that I wouldn't be um, proud of owning, so we we actually pulled the back glasses. We only found it happening in a very couple back glasses, but you know you don't want that going to customers, so okay. we pulled out of the back glasses. Now you're not you're not doing plastics, or and basically pin pinball rescue. No, I is closed, closed it down three and a half years ago. Right now, what what uh, can you talk about what happened there? Um, yeah, basically it, it, it was a there was a lot of stories going around, so I'll, I'll set the story straight. There was. It's a multitude of things that that ended up uh, finishing it up. Um, we were going for three and a half years. Um, both Gordon and I had day jobs, uh, very busy day jobs, and this was started out to be a hobby thing. Um, it got to the stage where I was working 17, 18-hour days, seven days a week between my job and Pinball Rescue was overtaking everything. Um, I was getting probably 30 emails a day, um, I used to come home from my day job at 5 o'clock, throw some dinner down, race down half an hour to the factory, produce plastics, come back at 11 o'clock, 
then do 30 emails, pack up orders and all that and finally get into bed at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And the problem is for three and a half years that sort of takes its toll. Um, it was the sort of business where it would have supported my wife and I very well, but not for Gordon to give up his job as well. So that was one of the problems. We either had to go bigger or close down. Um, but at the same time, a lot of other, or I wouldn't say a lot, a few other people were deciding that they'd have a go at doing plastics as well, which I commend the people to do it. But we were finding people were doing the same plastics that we had done or in the middle of doing, which we thought that was a bit pointless. Um, we thought, you know, let's everybody get together and, you know, do all different ones. Um, and then we had one of the bigger collectors in America write to us to say that... Uh, he was going to um, produce every set of Williams and Gottlieb's plastics from um, 1956 up to about 1960, 1965. And um, we thought, well, that's that's just, if you're going to do that, um, what's the point of us keep going there? So um, uh, that's why we, we pulled the pin on it. Um, well, you should have kept going because that well, guy that you were talking he, about, he, it didn't materialize. Well, we well it did for about three months. Um, yeah, he did like we, three sets. You know, I mean. Yeah, it, I mean, you know where I'm coming from, but yeah, it, it, it got to the stage where we also had people buying quantities of our plastics and then selling them under their own name and and things like that. Um, so yeah, that, that, it, it just sort of all come to the end. But when we got that email to say that particular person was going to do that. Um, American people are very patriotic and I commend them for that and if a product is available in America you wouldn't go to the other side of the world to buy the same product so. I don't know, I've and seen I, your product, I'd go to the other side <laughs> Yeah, but, but the problem is the person that buys the one-off sets they don't realise that Right um, You know so, uh, Come on, I mean, I need Gottlieb Hawaiian beauty plastics and, I, and that and yeah, a lot Mark, of people did Yeah, Mark Nemowitz did them but he's, you know, I think he got in the same situation that, that you found where, you know, it just consumes a lot of time. And, a lot of time. Yeah, and, and he won't even answer my emails. I, I mean, I think he's totally disconnected from the whole thing now and yeah. doesn't yeah, want anything Mark to do with it. Mark has a very busy um, job that he works in. I know he's all over the place, but... Um yeah, I think, Mark, we used to work in conjunction with Mark, because a very good friend of mine is Mark, and, and we sort of used to ring occasionally and joke and carry on and sort of swap technical ideas and all that. But, um, see, Mark did his in his home garage, and he did a beautiful job for that environment. I mean, we were lucky enough, we had a screen printing business. I mean, Gordon, my ex-partner, that's what he had, it was a business. So we used to use his facilities at night. Uh, for for Mark to produce the quality products that he did in his garage, I take my hat off to him. They were fantastic, but it's a lot of time and a lot of effort um, and a lot of money um, right. to set up for a run of plastics. It's it's not um, it's not a few hundred dollars. I can tell you that. Right, right. So, yeah, um, the, yeah, my it's, uh, it's big money. My my plastics and and if people are asking why does everybody need plastics for wood rails, it's because the uh, you know the the bu Butane, I believe, was the original material that they used, the original plastic. Yeah, it's turned into bacon. Yeah, little pieces of brown, crumpled yeah. bacon is, is really yeah. a good way to describe it. Yeah. And I, I can tell you the, the, the easiest way to find out if you're just about to lose your set of plastics. Um, it will happen over a matter of a month. When any one set of plastics will decide to go, you'll find they will get very tacky and sticky right. underneath. Yep. And once that happens, you've got about three weeks. Right, until they turn gone. into goo. Yeah. Yep. Just, and see, the problem is, whether we're talking about pinball plastics or, or a part of a vacuum cleaner or anything like that, plastic now from the 40s and the 50s is starting to um, go back into its original um, life. <laughs> right, its original uh, um, materials that it was made from. Yeah, it's starting to... Yeah, they're breaking down. Right, exactly. Um, I mean, the, the material that we use was the same as what your Coca-Cola bottles is made out of. That's why you can bend our plastics in half and it'll go back to its original form. Right, but you're using PEPG, you know, so... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good product, at least, you know... It's the dearest product, but it's the it's the most versatile, and see, some some plastics 
doesn't like screen printing inks and so on. So, um, yeah, we went for that because, you know, it, it was the most hardy material we could find and the best. Right. I, I'm, it's almost to the point where I'm going to have to start screening my own plastics for some of my games because, like, the Hawaiian Beauties, I, yeah. I mean, it, it's... I, you know, like you said, they've turned into bacon and they're they're about ready to implode, you know, yeah. and, and just be nothing but a pile of goo. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you've got, without the plastics, your artwork, you, the machine just doesn't look anything, does it, you know? Yeah, it's it's awful. I mean, it, it's yeah. bad. Um, I mean, there's guys doing reproduction glasses now, computer generated, but yes. for some reason they're, um, they're, they don't seem to be doing plastics for, for whatever reason. Um, yeah, it's it's a different technique. Um, see, because a lot of people worry about the shapes and cutting them out. That's a lot of the hassle. Um, you, you, your registration and your artwork has got to be so absolutely critical on your plastics. Back glasses, you can get away with it a little bit. Plastics, you can't. Right, because it's a smaller item. Yeah, and not only that, most of the artwork's got the black border around it. You go outside that. Right. Um, hence, and there are plastics out there that people have done, and you see what happens when it doesn't go right, and then all of a sudden you think, "Geez, I think I'd rather have the old plastics than those." And is there any chance that you would be doing this again, or is this just? Here this is, I was waiting for that one. Yeah, is this all past history? <laughs> um, probably not. Probably not. I'd, I'd look. I'd love to because there was. I had so much enjoyment. Um, doing it. I met so many wonderful people, had wonderful experiences, and uh, I, I just enjoy helping people, and especially, I mean, I used to get emails back from people that are just over the moon. They've now got this parts machine in their garage that all of a sudden they, they've got plastics, they've bought some other stuff from Steve Young, and now they've got an up-and-running pinball, and there's another one restored. So I got a, a, a great kick out of it, but um, I just don't think I could ever... Um, Go back to it again. Unfortunately, I used to enjoy it, but it was a lot of work. Yeah, I bought uh, most of your plastics just based on speculation. Like yeah. you know, I've got you sold uh, like Buckaroo, for example. Well, my Buckaroo plastics are fine, but yeah. you know, I I figure it's just a matter of time before they you know implode. So yeah, well, you know, see, when we first started Pinball Rescue, I mean, we were naive, and I'm the first to admit it. Um, we thought Slick Chick, Buckaroo, Sweethearts. Um, Magic City, um, things like that were going to be the ones that people wanted. But we were basing that on the machines that our plastics needed, our m machines needed plastics, so not the the world, you know. But we had to start somewhere, and we didn't have the... Uh, we used to have a request page on our website that people used to request a plastic, and then every time we used to get more than 10 requests for any one plastic, we set it into production. But um, that was the other thing that, that killed us as well. We used to quite openly have this site where everybody could see what plastics have been um, requested and how many people had requested. And unfortunately, a couple of people did copy and paste that whole website and then used it for themselves and then got all of our information and started going into opposition. So that's what you get for being honest, but um, hence you get that. But there's a lot of plastics out there that people need and needed. I mean, we were just about to go in. Um, Egghead was another one that was quite popular. We've done the artwork. Um, we've, um, there was quite a lot of plastics ready to rock and roll, but hence that they're not, just not going to happen. Fathom was the last set we did. Oh, really? Um, and that would have been enough to turn anybody off doing plastics still on Fathom. So, uh, yeah, was that a four-color process plastic? Or was How many? it? Were the, was you said Fathom, right? Is that what you said? Fathom. Yeah, Bally yeah, we, Fathom. We normally didn't do late games, but there was such a high demand in Fathom. Um, we we got actually twenty eight requests, and I said to Gordon, I think we better do do Fathom. You know, and it's a, such a huge set, um, lots of knives and 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 big plastics. You know, and uh, so we decided to go into production with Fathom and then we used to do a newsletter once a month I used to sit and write one with tips and what was coming up and a bit of a joke here and there and uh, I, I, I put a note there of the production update on Fathom to say that we're halfway through and then all of a sudden within about three weeks I got another 40 requests so we had to stop production print another 50 sets and get them up to where we were at and then continue off and I had 
I think 85 sets of Fathom, and I sold every I pre-sold every set. In but um, isn't Fathom? That, it was a big set, but there was another thing. See, Fathom, we I borrowed a set of plastics from America, um, and then there was a couple there weren't quite right, so I had to borrow another set from somebody else in America, and they were two different colours. So Fathom must have been done in a couple of different runs because the blues were different. Hmm. But isn't Fathom a four-color process opposed to, like, you know, the old school is like, you know, you might have eight different colors and you got a screen for oh, yeah. each color. I let, I, if you want to talk about which was the worst one, was hay burners. Okay. <laughs> Next time you have a look at a hay burners, have a, have a look how many different color horses' heads are on the plastics. <laughs> oh, you mean it was like 12 colors? Oh, I think it was nine or something like that. It was a big job. Um, but Fathom, um, well, you've got, I've forgotten how many... I think there might have been six colours, I think. Okay. I, I, I could be wrong. There's the yellow. There's two different blues in it. There's a light blue and a dark blue, yellow, black, white. Yeah, so we're up five or six colours. Right. At some so, point, Bally converted to this four-colour process where they used the, uh, just four colours, and then they used the little dot technology to, to get... Yeah. Get every yeah, we color. We didn't do that. Okay, I I didn't know if Fathom had done that or not. No, they didn't. No. Okay. No. They started doing that on some of the back glasses. Um, yeah, and I think those yeah. are a challenge to reproduce. Oh, well, it, but if you go back to your original um, uh, straight flush back glass and have a look at, have, really have a look at that background in that, that's a hard one to produce as well. That's got a pattern behind it. It's got a what Next behind Next time you have a look at your straight flush, really look into the black glass and you'll see there's a pattern behind it. Really? Mm. Okay. And also on plastics as well that some people, uh, the punters would get a bit confused, um, Williams decided to print on top of the plastic. You mean opposed to going underneath and seeing yeah, so uh, like a negative through? the whole through. process is turned upside down. So we did gusher. Um, oh boy, you really had to have your wits about you. I'll tell you what, you... You couldn't do your plastics after a couple of beers and a Vegemite sandwich, that's for sure. You had to be uh, 100% on the ball because you put your wrong colours down. See, normally your black was your first colour down. Uh, with Williams plastics, um, your black's your last. Right. So it made it for less error because, um, you know, your black is, is your last one. So we, everything's got to be perfect before your black goes on. So because if you've got registration problems at the start... You might as well throw them out because you're going to have problems all the way through. And just to explain to people, when you're silk screening, you basically got to make a screen for every for color. color. Yeah, and they got to line up perfect. And the order in which you do the colors is extremely important too. Um, in most cases, you can get away with it. Um, you can get away with some of the earlier machines. You can get away with it, like um, if if the colors don't overlap or in they're, they're in just complete isolated colours. You can you don't have to do it exact in order, but if they're close or something like that, yes, it's best to do them all in order. Right. If your registration has to be perfect, though, it's it got to be absolutely perfect. I mean, I use every every plastic that my I used to sit here under a big. I got a billiard table fluorescent light. I used to hold every one up to make sure everything was perfect, and otherwise I'd go into the into the dirt bin. Hmm. So. Um, you know, because I, I didn't know if people were going to hold them up to a fluorescent light like me, but it just gets back to the original thing. If if I wasn't happy with something, I don't expect anybody else to be happy with it. So. Now, we've probably got more um, seconds and, and and all that than uh, first qualities. You should pile those all up and send them to me. <laughs> I'll take seconds over nothing. You know what I, I mean? I, Easily. I still have them, and I wouldn't be able to lift the box. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. I would have thousands and thousands of them, but most of them you probably couldn't tell the problem with them, but I can. Yeah, I, I, you know, at this point, for some games, I mean, you know, you're lucky to find anything. And believe yeah. me, the little crusty, crusty pieces of bacon, um, yeah. your, your seconds are going to be, you know, miles and miles and miles oh, ahead. Oh, yeah. A lot of people have said that now, but um, back then when I was selling, you know, when you're asking... You know, 45 and $50 for a set, you want them to be first quality for your customers, so I wouldn't dare let a set of seconds go. But now that the others are all gone, I mean, if I had, like, you know, 53 Grand Slam or Queen of Diamonds, if, if I had another 50 sets to them, I think I could sell them in a week. Right. They were just, 
they used to just race out the door. We didn't realise. But see, Queen of Diamonds was a problem child because um, the size of the plastic. Right. Our old Heidelberg machine wasn't big enough to do it. So how did you cut those? We had to outsource somebody that had a very large machine. <laughs> oh. You know, and there's more expense again. Right. Makes things That's more complicated. Cool. Yeah. Right. So and then and then we yeah, you have you always have problems like we had a problem where we had a bad lot of ink once the white ink went off you know and uh, therefore you have to send out replacement sets to everybody because you know in time that the ink's going to go off so yeah it, it's just an expensive process. What what do you mean? What would happen to the white ink? Uh, it would craze. We, um, now which one was it? Um, I think it was the Queen of Diamonds. We had to do two sets. Um, and I sent out a replacement set to everybody. Um, we sold, the, uh, we sold um, I think, about 32 sets, and then um, I noticed the set that I had here in my office, so I used to hang up every time we do a set. I noticed there was a slight bit of crazing come through, so uh, we just immediately went into production and re-ran re, uh, them, and I just put them all back into post packs and sent them to everybody that I sent an original set to, free of charge, because just in case. Wow. And you, did you save the screens for all this artwork? No, no, you, no. Uh, the screens are quite expensive. Um, we have to re reuse the screens because otherwise you would have um, hundreds of screens just lying around. And you know, we we use we're not um, the little handheld ones. We use the big ones on a machine. Right. Um, you know, and they're two hundred dollars each to buy. So you can't afford to have them lying around. And, and that's the beauty with silk screens. We've still got all the images, so you just burn your screens again. Right. So it's not that big of a deal if you... It's if, not that big of a deal, no. If I ever bribed you into doing this again, you know, you could conceivably do it. Yeah, did I give out all that information? I shouldn't have been. Yes, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Mistake you made. Yeah, the, the main thing when you do anything um, with screen printing, if you keep your black images... You can always burn a screen. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, how do you do that? I mean, you got them on the computer, right? The black images? All right. I'll, I'll, I'll quickly go through the process. Would you like me to do that? Yeah. Okay. What did you do? You, first of all, you, you acquire a set of plastics. Uh, what we used to do is try and acquire a good set of plastics. You scan them. And then we used to blow them up 30% and re restore the artwork. Um, this is... This is where the time comes into it because... Now, are you restoring it in, in Illustrator or Photoshop? Photoshop. Photoshop, okay. Okay, Adobe. So, um, you blow it up 30%. Uh, so you, 30 times you blow it up and then you sit for 20, 30 hours and you're basically re redrawing the image because... When you go to send your images off, when you do all your colour separations, if the artwork's not perfect, the computer will pick it up and then put in either a hole or a blotch there where something should be a colour. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of it. I don't want to confuse anybody. So as soon as you scan your plastics, you then get each... Let's say we're going to do a, a kick-out plastic um, of... Um, Oh, let's say buckaroo. Okay, there's a picture on it with the, the cowboy with his butt showing, you know, in his jeans. So you explode that up 30 times and you basically redraw and restore the artwork. Okay, and once everything's fine and you're happy with everything, then, and you do that for every, pl every plastic in that set, then you do your colour separation. So what you do, uh, let's say buckaroo had six colours in it. So for everything that's blue, you click on it, um, and then you do a blue image, then your red, oh, sorry, there's no red, your orange, your black, your skin colour, whatever colour, you've got to do a separate colour image, so what you end up is all these little funny pictures with just blotches everywhere, because it's just like yeah, a it's just one color or a pocket or something like that. So you end up with an image for each colour? An image for each colour. And then, and you, the easiest one to do is the white because that's the one that covers the whole back of the plastic. Right. Okay. So once you've got that and you've got that on your little floppy or whatever you do on your computer, however you do it, you then take it to an image setting company and you get what you do. It's like a very thin 
piece piece of plastic. It's like floppy, like cellophane, basically what it is, a thick cellophane. And they put each one of those images, like you'll have a sheet for blue, a sheet for black, a sheet for white, skin, colour, red, green, whatever colour. They'll give you a separate sheet for every colour. Okay? Okay. So then once you've got your images, that's when you start burning your screens. So we used... Uh, so you, you, we used a big screen and we were able to put like three different colours on one screen. That's only because we had industrial machines to do it with. But anyway, just for the argument of discussion here, so you, you then get one of the images. Let's say we're going to do the black, which is your first colour normally unless it's a Williams. You burn that onto a screen and a screen is just like a very thin, like fly screen on your, on your windows but with much smaller holes and you apply a brown solution over it, which is a burning solution. Uh, it's basically PVA glue, but with more chemicals in it. That's burned for 12 minutes. Um, and once you take it out of the burner, and then all of a sudden there's your screen ready to screen print. But the first thing you must do is always check that there's no impurities or a little bit of gum or anything like that that's got in the way. You always make sure your image is perfect. Um, and then you're set to print. So you you put it on your screen printing bench and you put your, you mix your colour and make sure you use the right colour. Uh, we always used to get the correct colour from underneath a screw or something like that. So it was the original colour, not the faded washed colour. And that's when you start screen printing one colour. Normally your blacks first, then whatever colour, you know, your blue, your red or your yellow. Uh, and your last colour is always the white block out at the back is always your last colour. Yeah, the light diffuser. You know, That's the... it, and you've got to get that a right consistency. If you have that too thick, your light doesn't shine through it. If you have it too thin, um, it just goes to a blur, and your light globes show through it as a spotlight. Right. So that's got to be right. So once your plastics are screen printed and done, and they're all done on a, like an A4 piece of plastic, let them dry for about three or four days, and that's when you... We used to get knives made for the Heidelberg machine. Um, and that's when we stamped them out. Um, once they're stamped out, they never did the screw holes. I always used to do them manually on a big drill press. Um, I used to just mark it as a black dot where the holes had to be. Um, and then after that, I used to sit and just check every plastic to make sure that the registration was absolutely perfect, no colour outside of anything. Um, pack it and away you go. So you never did any of the artwork in Illustrator then? You were always using Adobe um, uh, Photoshop. Adobe, yeah, yeah. And, and, you're, and you're the company that actually made the cellophane, what they are is kind of like a mask. The cellophane masks go on top of the silk, yep. and then yep. the chemical burns away, what, the area around the masks or just the masks? I don't know which. Uh, what it does, your screen, you, you totally cover your screen in this solution, then you put your image over it, um, and then you burn it, and it actually burns off the solution for the pictures that you've got. Okay, so it burns so the, around... So the ink this, falls yeah. through that screen gotcha. and goes onto your plastic. Okay. And then you can reuse the screen somehow, you know, you can... Well, all you do then is you just... You, you, you just wipe that solution, that brown PVA glue, basically... Uh, that washes off. You use a um, special chemical and you put, wipe it on with a brush and then hose it off. Huh, and then you got a fresh screen again. Then you got a fresh screen. Wow. That's why I say as long as you've got your images, you can always redo your plastics. And when you say your images, you mean you're selling, saving the computer file or the cellophane stuff? The cellophane. Oh, okay. So the cellophane stuff is reusable too. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So we've got all them packed away in, 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 a, in a safe place sort of thing. Huh. Well, cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I know nobody's ever really explained that to me. I want to try yeah. and dabble in it um, maybe this summer. Um, you know, I've what got I, a friend yeah, in well, Colorado you're welcome, that does Any it. questions you've got, just, uh, just let me know, and I'll, I'll sort you through it easy enough. Cool. A friend of mine in Colorado has been, you know, kind of made his own little small silkscreen, you know, yep. thing. And, you know, he does things it. that are just, you know, two, three, four colors. Nothing yep. too complicated because the no, more good colors. Good on him. I congratulate him. Yeah, the more colors you do, because like you said, if you got one color off, you know, in your registration, which is the placement on the plastic, yep. it, it screws everything up. 
and then well, you got to start and, over. And, and when you when you're a private guy, well, me and Gordon, my private guys as well. But when you're a guy doing it by yourself in your garage, you're trying to save every bit of money as you can, you know, because the inks are dear, the screens are dear, your images are dear, the machine to do it's dear. You know, all that for one set of plastics. It's 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 big money. Right. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, we used to also do all the the apron decals and all the front door decals and all that, all the stuff that, you know, all the belly stuff and all that. They were a big seller, but I thought they could have been bigger if I actually showed people how easy they were to apply. But I never got a chance to do that. So, um, yeah. Right. Mind you, and I mean, Herb Silvers is somebody that used a terrible lot of my apron decals. He used to do all that for his restorations. So, um, yeah. But I've noticed other people have copied ours now, so they're out there about. So. Right, and probably a lot of people are, are were you silk screening the decals, or were you? Absol- yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. I used to love doing them. I used to, uh, it, was a, it was a really good thing. The belly one, I used to run off about 50, 50 in a night, you know, and um, they, they were good. But, um, you know, we did the, um, the Gottlieb um, signs that used to go on the top of the wedge heads, you know, the flipper skill game signs? Right. Yeah, we, we I, I rattled off a heap of them. Um Actually, it was the same time we released ours, and about a week later, Steve Young had also done them, so I took ours off sale because nobody was going to pay the postage to get it across the other side of the world when somebody else was doing it, so I just withdrew ours from sale. Right. But we all screen printing. No, We never did any um, digital printing for the plastics or, or decals or anything like that. It was all genuine screen printing. Cool, cool. All right, Lee, well, is there anything else you want to add? Well, not no. I, I think we've just about um, just about covered anything. Unless you, you've got no other questions that I can try and sort of I think it's been help great. anybody out with it all. Or yeah, no, it's been great. And believe me, if I uh, try and and figure out this silk screening thing over the summer, I'm going to uh, oh, I'm gonna look, be knocking I, I, on your I door. Mean, most definitely, you keep in contact with me, and I'll try and help you out. As I mean, I've done it for that many years. If I can, either me or Gordon can put you in the right way, or if I can send samples over to you or images just to so you get a bit of an understanding of how it works. I mean, it's all right for me to sit here and prattle on about it, but unless you've got certain things in front of you, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. So if I can send a package over with some sort of explanation for you, I certainly will. Okay, cool. All because, right. Because uh, if somebody can keep doing these posts, I mean, I'd love to do it. I really would, but I, I just can't see myself doing it now. So. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, Lee, will you take care and thank you again. My pleasure indeed, anytime. Alright, you take care. Take care, I'll see you later. Alright, bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well thank you very much, Lee. We really appreciate you spending the time to talk to us here at TopCast. And that's all for today's episode. And uh, we'll see you next time with some more interviews and tech talk on TopCast.